series. Uh, let's give the band a hand as they're taking their seats. Thank you so much. We're in our James series, uh, James chapter 1, if you would turn with me. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Throughout the message, we're going to uh, be reading a few scriptures in Genesis, between Genesis chapter 2 and 3, so just be prepared to turn there and feel free to listen. Genesis, or I'm sorry, James chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. Scripture says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Be not deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought forth, or brought us forth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is... This world we live in is filled with challenges. Uh, we're at a point where we hear of wars, we hear rumors of wars. There's acts of terrorism all over the world increasing day by day, not only in other countries, but even here in America. Due to inflation, due to inflation, simple everyday items are becoming unaffordable. You guys know that even the amount of money that we would usually pay for a full tank of gas now only gets us halfway. These are struggles in America that not only non-Christians face, but Christians face. Both non-Christian and Christians alike face these challenges. But when a non-Christian faces these challenges, you know, they naturally respond with their flesh because they're not saved. But what makes the chaos of this world even more challenging for a believer is wrestling with how we should respond based on God's word versus how we naturally want to respond. 
When facing challenges of this world, we naturally want to take revenge. We want to gossip. We want to fight every battle ourselves. And sometimes we reach a point where we sometimes just want to throw in the towel and quit. James is writing this letter to believers in Christ. And during the time of this writing, Christians are facing persecution and even death for publicly standing firm in their faith in Christ. James is writing to Christians who are facing trials and facing temptations. And here we are 2,000 years later. And I, I would never compare American 21st century persecution to that of first century Christian persecution. However, I would never belittle the trials that Christians face today because we're living in a day where we constantly have to remind our children that God only created two genders, that God created a boy to grow up as a man and a girl to grow up as a woman because the school system is trying to persuade our children that they can be whatever gender they want to be. These are the current struggles of American Christians today. The Bible is being looked at more and more as just another book, not as a book that is inspired by God himself. And so that gives people the right, so they think, to change or remove certain scriptures to fit their preference. These are the current struggles that Christians face today in America. The role of the Christian leader is now being frowned upon and the Christian doctrine is being questioned more and more due to a generation of people that think they know more, they're more aware of what's going on in the world than any other generation before them. There's a word for that, they call it woke. These are the current struggles of American Christians today. And so with all that's going on, how do we face these trials head on? My first point, joy brings endurance. Joy brings endurance. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It starts off, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. That's a very common phrase, biblical phrase used throughout scripture, especially in the book of Psalms. We just sang Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 32, 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and to who or to and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The word blessed is a very common phrase throughout scripture, especially in the book of Psalms. And I've seen so many different translations of this word blessed. You see happy or you see prosperous. And I don't believe these are wrong translations, but I, I believe that James has a different approach on this word blessed in James 1, 12. In James 1, 12, this, this word blessed not only points to being favored by God, but it can also give you the idea of the word joy, the unshakable 
joy. Joy that cannot be shaken or moved. How do you know that? It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That means we need joy to face trials because joy is eternal, which means that we can have joy even when we're unhappy. And because joy is eternal, you can only receive joy from God. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we as believers can have joy. That's what Nehemiah 8.10 is talking about. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm 16.11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21.6, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. There's a songwriter that said, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And so because the world didn't give it to me, that means the world can't take it away. This is, the, this is what gives Christians the ability to withstand and face persecution head on. You look at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, close disciples of Jesus after Jesus has ascended, they're faced with persecution for preaching the name of Jesus. And the Bible says toward the end of that chapter that they walked away rejoicing because they had the opportunity to suffer for Christ. I don't know if they walked away skipping. I don't know if they walked away with a smile on their face, but all I know is that inside they had joy because they had the opportunity to suffer. Joy is eternal, given to believers by an eternal God. So this means that joy from the Lord keeps our perspective eternal. Joy from the Lord keeps our perspective eternal. An eternal perspective gives us the strength to endure trials on this earth. An eternal perspective, James 4.14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. But what is your life? For you are mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the mindset of someone with an eternal perspective. Looking forward to being in heaven forever gives us the strength to hold on. Anybody looking forward to being with Jesus? Amen. Heaven. This is a place where we get to experience the attributes of God with no distractions. Because this life is temporary. This life is temporary. It's momentary. And when you begin to compare your struggles of this world with an eternity of peace, you'll gain endurance during trials. Joy of the Lord brings endurance. The intensity of trials can often make our minds drift. It's very easy to get tempted to do or say things that can cause damage. 
My next point, God cannot tempt. God cannot tempt. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is holy, God is righteous, but it's more than just attributes that he possesses. Holy and righteousness is who God is. And so because God is holy and righteous, he cannot be tempted, therefore he cannot tempt us to sin. We fall into temptation because of our own sin nature. Our sin nature takes us all the way back to Genesis. This is why I wanted to read a few scriptures in Genesis. But before we go there, what is temptation? What is temptation? Temptation is the opportunity to satisfy an ungodly desire. Temptation is the opportunity to satisfy an ungodly desire. It is the opportunity to put our fleshly desires above God's will for our lives. The opportunity to put our fleshly desires above God's will for our lives. So what does this tell us about temptation? Temptation is always desirable. If you don't desire it, it's not a temptation. Okay? So, so if, if, if you love Sunday sports... Or if you're not a fan of Sunday sports, if you are not a fan of Sunday sports, you are not going to use Sunday sports as an excuse to miss Sunday service or leave early. But if you love Sunday sports, like Sunday football, Sunday afternoon football, you're going to, you might, there's a chance you might use that as a reason to leave church early. You might be tempted to leave church early because you just have to get home to watch the game. If you are somebody who's taking a break from sweets, you will not be tempted to eat a salad. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. If you are somebody that loves sweets, you can get dressed in shorts and, and, and a t-shirt and sit right in the gym and not be tempted. Everybody's working out surrounded by machines and you just, it doesn't phase you. Because temptation is desirable. We fall into temptation because of our sin nature. Our sin nature starts back in Genesis. So let's turn first to Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. We're going to really hone in on Genesis 3, but I'm, this is going to lead us there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It's a quick read. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, being Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so now let's go to Genesis 3, the next chapter. We're going to focus on a few verses in Genesis it's amazing how this scripture in James and Genesis go hand in hand. 
Genesis 3, we're going to start at the first verse. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Eve, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? So first off, what does this tell us? Satan uses temptation to challenge God's attributes. Satan uses temptation to challenge God's attributes. Did God actually say you cannot eat of the tree in the garden, of any tree in the garden? Satan is pretty much asking Eve, God is so good. If God is so loving, if he's such a provider, then why is he holding you back from living and enjoying your life? If, he, if he's such this loving, this loving and caring person, why is he holding you back? Isn't that stuff we hear now? We hear that stuff now. If God is so loving, if he's all about love, then why is he keeping me in this boring marriage? If, if, if God is so loving, then why won't he, why is he keeping me from doing what I want with my body? It's my body. If, 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 if he's so loving, then why is he keeping me from being in a relationship with whoever I want to be in a relationship with or marrying anyone that I want to marry, even if they are of the same sex? Because he's a loving God. If, if God is a God who wants us to have peace, truly wants us to have peace, then why does he forbid drug use and intoxication? Because after all, it doesn't seem like it hurts anybody. It seems like it gives me peace. These are questions that we ask all the time. The devil seeks to turn us away from God's attributes, giving us the wrong idea of who God is. Secondly, Satan uses temptation to challenge God's word and authority. Satan uses temptation to challenge God's word and authority. takes God's word and he twists it. Again, God tells Adam, Genesis 2, he says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 3, 1. After the, now we heard God's command. The devil says, did God actually say you shall not eat? Of all the trees in the garden, Eve responds. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Lest you die. God says, you will die. That's what God tells Adam. You will die. In verse four, this is the devil's response. You will not die. You will not surely die. In other words, God's not telling you the truth, Eve. He's lying to you. He's lying. Satan, in the next verse, he says God is lying. If I could sum all this up and paraphrase it, God is lying because he knows that in the day that you eat the fruit, you'll be like him. God is lying to you because if you eat of it, he can't hold you back anymore. That, 
That's what he's saying. He's lying because he knows that you'll be like him if you eat from the tree. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like him, knowing good and evil. This is verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, temptation is always desirable, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's interesting. The Bible never says how long they were in the garden before the serpent came into play. But it's interesting that I believe they were there for quite some time. It's interesting that Adam and Eve, they lived in this garden for quite some time and they saw this tree. This, this, this wasn't a random tree that they weren't aware of. They saw this tree in the midst of the garden. They, I'm pretty sure they walked past this tree several times, several times a day. But after a talk with the serpent, now the tree looks desirable. It, it looks desirable. Before Eve's talk with the serpent, the tree represented God's command. That's what she saw when she saw the tree. When she saw the tree, she saw a reflection of God's holiness and his righteousness. When she saw the tree, she saw a reflection of his love and his provision. She saw a reflection of his knowledge and his wisdom. But now, once temptation kicks in, the tree is now a reflection of her ungodly desires. Now, the reflection or the tree is a reflection of who she could be. It's, it's, it's now a reflection of her desires. Before the tree pointed to God and his attributes, but now in her mind, the tree points her to her desires. Satan hates God and his creation. And so that means that sin and temptation will always distort our view of God and his creation. Because our view of God and his creation became distorted. Because she listened to the serpent, she ate of the tree. She fell, attempted, she fell into temptation because she put her desires above God's will. Adam fell out of position. He fell out of position and he later fell into temptation. That's Satan's goal. Satan's goal through temptation is to distort our view of God and his creation. Let's go back to James. James 1, 13 through 14. James 1, 13 through 14. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So this is the, act, this is the total opposite view of God that Adam had. The total opposite view. You go to Genesis 3, 8, and 9, and I'm going to just read it. You don't have to turn there. But Genesis 3, 8, and 9. After they ate of the fruit... They said they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I don't know how they thought they could do that. 
but they hid themselves. They tried to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. This is a total opposite. Now, you guys are seeing the difference between what James says and Adam's view. James says, don't blame God. Adam says, this is your fault, God. <laughs> the total opposite view of God. Adam is blaming God and his wife for falling into, falling into temptation. God, if you didn't give me this woman, I wouldn't have sinned. If you didn't do, this is your fault. This is the exact opposite. James states that God will not and cannot be tempted because he cannot tempt. Or he will not tempt because he cannot be tempted. God cannot be tempted because he's holy. Our sin nature causes us to fall into temptation. So how do we combat temptation? How do we combat temptation? God's word. We combat temptation through God's Word. That's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is all about. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word equips us to face trials. God words, God's word equips us to face and overcome temptation. That's what Matthew 4 is all about. When you go to Matthew 4, the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness to revolve his life around temporary possessions. He says to him, the tempter came to Jesus and it said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The Bible says that right before this, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was vulnerable. And then it says the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is actually a scripture back in Deuteronomy. Matthew 4 tells us that the devil continued to tempt Jesus on and on and on. But every time Jesus was faced with temptation, he immediately quoted scripture. And that's because the scripture was in his heart. When God's word is hidden or stored in your heart, as Psalms 119.11 says, or when you meditate on it day and night, as Psalms 1 says, you will not fall into temptation. God's word equips us to face trials and overcome temptation. God's word reveals his attributes. It reveals his attributes. And I've said this before, we often fall into temptation because we forget God's attributes. We forget God's attributes. Again, the Bible says that Adam and Eve ran from the presence of God. How is that, how is that possible? They forgot that God is omnipresent. The Bible says in Jonah, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. The Bible says he, he fled to Tarshish or went down to a ship to go to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. 
I can only imagine God's face when he's watching Joan to try to outrun his presence. Is he serious? He really thinks that he... Seriously? We forget God's attributes. Maybe, maybe, maybe the reason why we use drugs and marijuana or alcohol to snatch our minds from the reality of this world's chaos is because we often forget that the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus can surpass all human understanding. Maybe we look for love in the wrong places because we often forget that unshakable, unconditional love is not only something that God has, but this love is who God is. We may look for worldly possessions, for joy and strength when facing challenges because we may often forget that true strength and true joy only comes from the Lord for the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is what God's word teaches us daily. How often are we feasting on God's word? How often are we taking the time out to be reminded of who God is? God's word equips us to face trials. It equips us to face and overcome temptation. And that's why I keep going back to Adam and Eve, because they were the perfect example of this passage in James. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire has conceived that gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I encourage you to read Genesis 3 when you can. Adam and Eve were tempted because they were enticed by their own desire. Their desire was placed above God's will, resulting in sin being born. When they messed up, they blamed God. This is what we do often. We blame God all the time for our shortcomings. God didn't make me a homosexual. Maybe I wouldn't live this lifestyle. If God didn't make weed plants, then I wouldn't smoke all the time. It's natural. It's from the ground. If God didn't do this or that, then maybe I wouldn't live like this or that. That's, that was the mindset that Adam had. Like Adam, we often blame God for our sin. That's called deception. James says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. He says, don't be deceived. We fall into temptation because we have been deceived. We deceive others because we have been deceived. We blame God for our sin because we've been deceived. That's what Adam and Eve did. They fell into temptation. They deceived one another. They blamed God for their rebellion because they themselves were deceived. Sin instantly it came into the world, leaving us in a broken state from that day forward. My next point. Sin ruins lives. Sin ruins lives. Sin is a contaminant that poisons the mind and the hearts of everyone. Adam and Eve rebelled. Their sin instantly, or they, they were instantly infected by sin. Instantly. From that day forward, every man and woman of every generation would be born infected. Adam and Eve gave birth to the first killer in history. Sin infected them. Thousands of years, wars, rumors of wars, because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. 
thousands of years. Here we are. Just, just in the 21st century alone, this is, this is the same contaminant that will poison a group of airplane pilots to fly a plane into the World Trade Center, killing more than 1,100 people in less than a day. This is the same contaminant that pollutes our minds, causing us to look down on one another and hold each other back from growth because of the color of our skin and not the content of our character. Even to where a young man would drive hours from his home to Buffalo to kill 10 people, take their lives, not knowing that at least three were well-known, faithful members of their local churches, serving God to the best of their ability, serving as deacons and leaders in their churches. This is the same contaminant that pollutes this man in Southern California to walk in a church on a Sunday morning and shoot everywhere, killing a doctor who has a wife and two children. This is the same contaminant, even this past week, that will poison the mind of a young man to walk into an elementary school and take the lives of almost 20 children. Children. You know how old elementary school kids are? The oldest child is probably about 11 years old. And this man walks in there and takes the lives of almost 20 children. Elementary school age. This is the same contaminant that causes adults to take advantage of little children, robbing them of the opportunity to develop and blossom. Sin. 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 This, this is what polluted our nation. This pollutes our world. We live in some of the most trying times in history where murder and the robbery rate in our inner cities has increased tremendously. We're calling right wrong and wrong right. Looking at same-sex marriage as holy matrimony. We're living in a world where natural disasters killing thousands of people. Generations are looking down on other generations and generations are dishonoring other generations. And yet we declare that there's a God who's perfect in every attribute that he possesses. And that's why the most popular question of both non-Christians and unfortunately even Christians is concerning God is how can there be a God, a loving and a caring God in a world of turmoil? How can there be a God when the nation is constantly fighting against nation and children are dying of starvation? And the answer is sin. Sin. Sin ruins lives. Falling into temptation births sin, and sin brings forth death. Falling into temptation ruins lives. Not only did sin ruin Adam and Eve's lives, but it affected the lives that would come afterward. It was passed down from generation to generation. And James says, God is not to be blamed for our sin. Satan, the fallen angel, deceives Eve and turns God's creation against them. I can only imagine Satan's frame of mind after this. I'm, I'm pretty sure he thought he won. Pretty sure he thought he beat God for the first time. He beat God. And even now, sometimes it seems like Satan is winning. When you hear about Christians being killed overseas, we're living in a, in a, in a, in a country where the structure of family is being destroyed. It seems like Satan is winning. 
But verse 16 says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The trials of this world, the trial of this day and time, make it challenging for us to remain steadfast. The way of the world is targeting Christians to attempt, so we to tempt us to hide our light under a basket. We're tempted to deny our relationship with Jesus Christ as Peter did. The challenges of this world tempts us to look for relief from the pleasures of this world. We often we fall into temptation, we blame God, but James says, don't be deceived. God cannot tempt. My last point before I wrap this up, God does not change. God does not change. So God cannot tempt. He says, don't be deceived. James wants to break down the type of God we serve in James 1.17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In a nutshell, these gifts reflect who God is. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God is perfect all the time. All the time, God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous all the time. He made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But in Genesis 3, when it was time for us to choose between good and evil, we fell into temptation. We were deceived, thinking that we knew more than God. So we rebelled against him. Our rebellion brought sin into the world, separating us from a perfect God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. We can't blame God for what happened. This world's current condition is man's fault because God won't tempt. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No variation or shadow due to change means that God remains the same. That's what, he's, that's what Malachi is talking about in 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Isaiah 4, 40, verses 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. God does not change. Just like the sun. The sun is a perfect example or illustration of who God is. It never stops shining just because it's dark outside. The sun remains in the same place, shining as bright as it always does. But darkness comes when the earth turns away from the sun. God never changes. Darkness came to this world when we walked away. Our rebellion deserved God's wrath. But I'm so glad he doesn't change. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, this is the gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus is the Father's gift to us. Jesus, God the Son, Jesus the co-creator of the world, came to this earth and lived a sinless life, tempted at all points, but remained sinless. He was tempted to revolve his life around worldly possessions and the pleasures of this world, but he revolved his life around the will of the Father. He was tempted to take revenge against his enemies, but he loved and he prayed for them. He was tempted to prove his power, but he remained humble. He was tempted to prove his power, but he forgave. He remained sinless even when facing trials. 
He remained steadfast when facing challenges and never fell into temptation. What a perfect example of perfect living. What a perfect standard. This was the standard that we couldn't reach because of our sin nature. Jesus not only lived a perfect example and overcame temptation, but he remained steadfast even when facing trials. Because of his sinless life, he took the wrath of the Father by dying on the cross. He faced the ultimate trial. He faced the trial that no human could face, the penalty of sin. Jesus knows what it's like to face trials. And that's what James 1.18 says. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his own will, of his own will. There was nothing that we did to earn God's grace. It was of his own will. It was nothing that we did. We couldn't be nice to anybody. It was of his own will. It wasn't about the degrees or how often we go to church or serve. It was his own will. We couldn't earn our salvation. Jesus says in John 10, 17, 18, he says, I lay my life down. Nobody could take it from me. Jesus is the standard of James chapter 1. Jesus was that blessed man who remained steadfast when facing trials. He was the one who had unshakable joy when facing trials. He laid his life down with joy. He endured the cross with joy. He faced trials with joy. He took his last breath on the cross with joy. Died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. But three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. When your faith is in Christ, you are saved from the wrath of the Father. You will no longer face God's wrath. Sin will no longer have rule over you, even when it has influence. God gives us gifts. When you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, pointing you to the example that Jesus set through his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus is the example. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. Salvation through Christ is God's gift to us. This is, this is what the gospel is all about. This is what James is all about. The gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it gives us the strength to endure when facing trials. The gospel gives us the courage to stand against sin. It gives us the courage and the, and the mindset of an eternal perspective when facing challenges head on. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overcome temptation. And as we face the challenges of this time, my, chat, my question to you is how strong is your faith in God? How often are you studying God's word? We fall into temptation because we hold on to our sinful desires. And that's what Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run this race with endurance that is set before us. What sin are you holding on to? Who's holding you accountable when you're challenged with these temptations? And lastly, we face the challenges of this world. 
because we need an eternal perspective. How often do you look at life with an eternal perspective? When we ask ourselves these questions daily, we will grow in our relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how good you are. We thank you that you are faithful even when we're unfaithful. We thank you that you're perfect when, even when we rebel against you. We thank you that you don't change. Lord, we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be conformed to the image of your Son daily. That we will put away sin. That we will revolve our lives around the scriptures. Around the will of the Father as Jesus did. We ask, Lord, that we would take this and apply it to our everyday lives and situations and routines as we go from day to day. We thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name.